Good morning. My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church, and uh, this morning I have the joy to open up God's Word with you. So if you do me a favor, uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Um, That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Uh, We'll be there in a few minutes. Before we get there, um, I want to share with you a few things uh, that have been rumbling around in my brain. This uh, message has been percolating for the last few months, so I'm very excited to share it with you. Uh, next week, before we get into Christmas, I want to just kind of lay some groundwork of some stuff that's been happening, I think, in our community, and especially over the last uh, few years, the elders and our staff have been watching, I would say, some concerning trends in American evangelicalism. It's a hard word to say. And uh, I-, I wanted to take some time and maybe get uh, in front of some of those. So the-, the title of the sermon, it's very simple, Becoming Owners, Making Your Local Church personal. Becoming owners, making your local church personal. So if uh, you want to take uh, notes, if you go to the hub, you can download our digital sermon notes. You can email them to yourselves. You should have also gotten some notes when you came in. Use those. Um, I want to tell you my objective. My objective this morning is I want to ask you four simple, self-reflecting questions. Um, One of the things that I would love for you to do if you're part of a community group is to take these questions to your community group and process through these questions. What I want to do is have the word be a mirror to our hearts and want to ask ourselves after we've reflected on some of the things that we teach on this morning, um, where is your heart versus what the word of God says? I'd love for you to have that conversation candidly. Um, I expect none of us uh, here are Jesus, so none of us are going to be perfect. So if you come into your community group and uh, you share a little bit about brokenness and uh, some struggles um, with what we've taught, that's very normal and very natural. But one of of the places that we have to process this together is going to be in our community groups. If you're not in one, obviously I'd love for you to be in one. Uh, If you're not, though, maybe you're visiting from a different church, this is a great opportunity to sit back and to reflect and to ask yourself some really, I think, pointed questions. Here's the first question. Very simple. It's not going to blow your mind, but very important. How do I relate to my local church? How do I relate to my local church? So what I want to do is I want to share with you the three stages of church engagement. Now, before I do that, I got to tell you a couple things about the stages of church engagement. Number one is this. Um, none of these are necessarily bad. I mean, you're going to see there's a clear destination, I think, that the Lord wants to move each and every one of us toward, okay? Um, but none of these are necessarily bad. So, for example, you would never look at a four-year-old and say, why aren't you 14, right? Now, you would look at a 35-year-old who's acting like a four-year-old and say, there's some serious problems here, would you not? Um, But every stage of development of growth as we grow in Christian maturity has its place. One of the challenges to be warned of in this message is that sometimes we stay in one stage far too long. And when we stay in one stage of maturity far too long, we become immature and we become consumers. That's not the goal here. Now, um, the second thing I want you to know before we get into the stages of church engagement is this. Um, Some of you have recently left a church Um, Some of you have been in limbo for some time, Uh, and this isn't necessarily about you today. What I want you to do is I want you to ask yourself for the last church that you were at, let's say the last church you were at for more than six months, how did you relate to that church? What was your heart? What was your your posture? Uh, And so now for the stages of of engagement, here's what I want to do. We're all going to go on a vacation together. Sound good? Um, We are going to be going to Paris, France. Uh, Anybody not want to go with me? To Paris, we got Matt. That's number one. We got a couple people, right? 
so many jokes I want to make, but I'm not going to make them. Uh, you're welcome, by the way. So for the sake of illustration, um, we're going to be going to, to Paris, France. And uh, you're going to find in the analogy here our relationship to the church. My question is, of the three things I give you, which one best describes your relationship to the local church? First is this. The tourist. The tourist is on vacation. Uh, the tourists uh, heard that it was good. They saved their money. They took a little bit of a risk, but not much. Maybe some friends talked about it. They went online. They looked at some pictures, and they thought to themselves, I'm going to go visit. Small investment. Maybe you got a hotel room or a car or something of the sorts. But you went uh, to Paris, France to be a tourist. Now, many of you um, actually um, are tourists at Village Church. Again, I don't mean this to actually be a bad thing. It could actually be a very normal good thing, especially maybe you have um, recently left a church and you're trying to figure out where the Lord wants you to land. And, and so here's one of the ways, though, that you know you're a tourist in a church. Um, I get 10 times more than I give. I get 10 times more than I give. And, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not talking about money per se. I'm just talking about in, in general. Somebody usually cleans up after you, somebody serves you, somebody goes out of their way to make sure your experience is excellent, Um, and then when you leave, typically they clean up after you. And so the problem with tourism is, 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 is not when somebody becomes a tourist for a while. The problem with tourism in the church is when you stay a tourist for months and months or years or decades. Now, I've, I've done some thinking, and I want to share with you what I found to be the three most common reasons people stay tourists. Number one, it's just a lack of training. Nobody's ever taught you otherwise. Nobody's ever told you God's heart for the local church. Nobody's ever taught you with clarity um, how God has wired you and how he wants you to relate to the local church. There are some denominations, this is crazy, uh, there are some denominations where almost everybody in the church is a tourist because that's all that is expected. Um, that's a scary thought to think that people go to church for decades and decades and they're never taught or called to something bigger or better or more beautiful. For some people, it really is a lack of love. Um, you have not experienced love in that community. Let me tell you what happens. People will never own a community where they don't feel loved. And so for some people, this has been an, ex- it's an excuse and for some it's a reality. Um, your lack of love has prevented you from taking any steps forwarded. Not your lack of love for them, but maybe their lack of love personally for you. Um, for some people, it's a lack of healing. Um, you've really been burned uh, in your recent churches. And uh, one of the things that you're going to see, a theme in, in my philosophy of healing, is, is everybody's pain is different. Um, but one of, the, one of the warnings for people who are healing is that sometimes what we can do is justify one to five years as a tourist in the name of healing. And by the end of this message, I want to contend with you that I think there's a better way to heal than sitting on the sidelines and not giving your gifts and your best to your local church family. Uh, these are three common reasons, and one of the things I want you to ask yourself is, hey, is, is this, does this describe me? And if so, what might be one of the motivations for why I'm still a tourist to this day. The second stage in in our journey to Paris, France, is we've gone there as a tourist, and we said, you know what, I'm actually going to relocate my family to this place. We are going to be a renter, okay? Uh, We are going to actually take some property. We're going to dig in. We're going to put our roots here a little bit, but here's the nature of being a renter. A renter, by nature, isn't permanent, right? There's something about when you rent, by and large for most people, that it's like, you know what, like I don't know if I want to be here forever, but for now it's good. Now one of the indicators in a church that you might be a renter is you get as much as you give. 
And so you are generous. Uh, you give, you serve. In fact, you can be a renter for years and years and years, and people can actually believe that you are something else. The third option, which I won't tell you yet. Um, but you can be here for a long time, and you can, you can um, be an actual renter in your heart. And here's how you know you're a renter. You're just like, I, I, I'm in. Don't get me wrong. My family goes here, but like, um, I don't know if this is my forever church. I don't know if I'm really going to stay. And so the very nature of, of renting is this. Uh, if something is broken uh, in the condo or the townhouse that you rent, are you going to be inclined to invest your own money to go fix it? And the answer, of course, is no, by and large. You're going to call your landlord and say, this is yours, you own it, you fix it. Okay? Uh, and so there's a different mentality, actually, that people have as renters. And I, and I think being a renter for a time is a really natural transition that people have after they become a tourist. They're trying to figure things out. And this might be actually the season where you go through a membership class at a church. And you try to get your head around who are these crazy people. But in renting, I get as much as I give. The four most common reasons that people stay renters, by the way, are the first three that we already said, a lack of training, a lack of love, a lack of healing. Um, but there's also a, a life reality, especially in suburban areas. Um, it's a lack of permanence. So it's not uncommon that somebody will move to Chicago for a one or two year stint of time. There's no expectation that you're going to be here long term. So here's often what happens as it relates to our church. We sort of move in, but we keep people at arm's length with the expectation that a year or two from now, we're going to go to wherever else the Lord might have us. One of the best encouragements that I can give you is wherever you are, whatever local church you're in, be all there. Because I have watched multiple men and women and families come here for a short period of time, not fully invest, only to realize that the Lord redirected their plans and kept them in Chicago land area for two, five, ten plus years. So one of the, one of the great things I tell people is whether you're going to be in a place for six months or whether you're going to be in a place indefinitely, um, jump in. Make it your home church because you never know where the Lord is actually going to take you. Now, the third stage, now this is a whole nother level of commitment. This is the owner stage. This is when you move your family to Paris and you become French citizens. Oh, God help us all. The analogy completely just broke down right there and I repent of the whole message. Let's go home. Um, no, but the, the concept of owner is this. You dig deep roots, um, you are invested. One of the indicators in a local church that you self-identify as an owner is that you give more than you get. Not only do you give more than you get, you give a whole lot more than you get. You think about your own house, for example. You spend money. You spend money on it, making it more beautiful. You give more to your actual home than you get out of your home, do you not? Your home doesn't pay you back in money, right? And so you give and you give and you give. And then one day, God willing, you sell it and the investment is worth it. Um, but an owner has deep roots. They commit for a long time. And of course, an owner understands this. The Lord can move your family at any time he wants, can he not? But the owner understands this. While I'm here, I'm here. While I'm here, I'm going to dig deep roots. While I'm here, I'm going to be a part of a local church. While I'm here, I'm going to give way more than I get because that's the very nature of what owners do. Um, somebody said this to me. I love this. The difference between an owner, a renter, and a tourist. Uh, an owner sees something broken and they say this. Oh, I have to fix that. And they can't stop until it's fixed. A renter says, somebody should really fix that. I'm going to call the landlord. <laughs> And a tourist says, why have they not fixed it? What is wrong with these people, right? And so even how you, even how you respond to things that don't work well uh, is a huge indicator whether or not you're an owner, 
whether or not you're a tourist or whether or not you are a renter. Owners take church, their local church, personally. They take the community and the family personally. Renters and tourists just don't as much. Again, tourists have a little bit more personal investment than a, than a, rent, or than a, than a renter does than a tourist, for sure. But there is something that happens in the mind of somebody when they go from, I don't know if I'm going to stay here, but I'll give it all I got while I'm here, versus I'm all in. I'm going to dig deep roots here. I'm going to be faithful here. I'm going to give way more, way more than I get. So now over the past 20 years, uh, evangelicalism as we know it, uh, there have been some pretty massive shifts as we think about the idea of like an owner um, or you think about the idea of like an active church member. And so I actually want to share with you a quote uh, from a guy named Tom Rainer. He does an incredible amount of research on the current day and the current state of church. And here's what he says. About 20 years ago, a church member would say an owner was considered active in the church if he or she attended three times a week. So let me tell you, 20 years ago, if you went to Village Church or most evangelical churches, here's what your week might look like. You'd go to Sunday school in the morning, then you'd worship together in Sunday morning worship. Uh, Sunday night, you would probably come back. There would be something you would do. There'd be a worship service, a prayer service. There'd be definitely more teaching. You'd come back on Wednesday night. If you didn't have a Sunday night prayer service, then you had a Wednesday night prayer service. And then there was more teaching. And so the nature of the pastor's job is that he could actually actually teach two or three times per week, like hour-long messages, right? Um, And so the very nature of church engagement 20 years ago was pretty different. Now, raise your hand if you remember this kind of church engagement from about 20 years ago, right? Isn't that interesting? Now, he finishes the quote, and here's what he says. Today, a church member is considered active in the church if he or she attends three times a month. So um, it's not all super bad, but there, this is an indicator, okay? So let's just, let's, let's take a step back. Let's look at some deeper stats. Let's double click and, and let's look and see what's happening. These are statistics um, regarding evangelicalism generally, not super liberal churches, not super fundamentalist churches, um, Christian, evangelical, center of the road churches. Here are some average stats in America, and then we do some reflection on Village Church. Uh, church attendance stats in America, the average evangelical attends church 2.6 times per month. Let me break down that number for you. That means if we have 100 people that are active, that are owning this place on an average Sunday, we're going to have 65 people here on church. 20 years ago, you would have 98 people. Do you see the difference? So even how we, how we uh, imagine uh, church attendance has shifted quite a bit. Church attendance stats from megachurches are about 1.5 to 1.7 times per month. So if you go to a megachurch, that's the stat on your life, generally speaking. Now, some churches are going to be higher, some are going to be a little bit lower, but these are some general averages from our experience. And psychologically, I think this makes a lot of sense because if you're part of a mass crowd, you don't feel the need to be there as much. On top of that, um, live streaming, digital podcasting, all of that gives you the ability to have the illusion of connection without the reality of actually connecting with people. So Village Church, what we've done is we've tried to really get our head around what's happening here. Um, Our church attendance stats at Village Church are 2.6 times per month. These are the latest uh, stats that we have right now. That is generally taken from our children's ministry um, because that's about the average that a kid at Village Church attends church per month. That's how many times 
per month. So 1.4 times per month on average, they are someplace else or not doing anything here. Um, Now, as we say all this, some of you could say, oh my goodness, the world is coming to an end. The church is so weak. There's no hope for us. Let's all go home. I don't think that's actually the case. Uh, Church engagement is higher than ever. So now here's what's happened uh, between podcasting, community groups, serving. The average owner of Village Church is with Village Churchers well over four times per month. Um, Even though church attendance has gone down, engagement is getting higher and higher. So even like online, um, our our digital downloads in terms of sermons are, I think they're a little bit higher than our actual adult attendance at Village Church. And so even though people aren't here, they're engaging with the content, they're engaging with emails, they're engaging with their community groups. And so you'll even find there are some churches um, that there, there's actually a church on the West Coast where um, they have 18,000 people who go to their church, but 22,000 people who are in community groups. The 18,000 is an average. Uh, That doesn't represent all of the people in their church, but they have 22,000 a week in their actual community groups or small group ministry. So you see it's an interesting little dynamic here that's happening. Uh, The reason I I show this to you is because I want to continue to put a mirror up to you. Um, I don't know that we recognize how culture uh, is, is affecting even how we view the local church, how we view our relationship to it. So even as I say this, I want to come back and I want to ask you the question, how do you relate to the local church? Um, I love this. Uh, My relationship with my local church is more often than not a mirror of my relationship with God. Uh, The vast majority of people that I meet, the way they engage with the local church is almost always a reflection, a mirror of how they're relating to and engaging with God himself. Uh, I want to share with you, actually, some of you, um, as you're trying to figure out churches and where to land, I want to share with you, we do a Q&A podcast here. If you go to our hub, you can find it there as well. And uh, here are a few episodes that we did for some of you trying to figure out where to land on a church and how to process all this. Episode 169 and 170, what questions should I ask before committing to a local church? Episode 530, is it okay to leave my church if I don't trust my leaders? We have a whole bunch of episodes that we have done on the nature of the local church, giving, tithing, serving, you name it. Uh, If you go to our website and you just type in church on the uh, media section, search there, you'll find a ton, a ton of media uh, that's there to help you process through this. Now here's, here's the deal. For many of you in this room, um, the Lord wants you to take a next step. I don't know what that is. For some of you in this room, it's not here. Uh, I do not presume for a moment that Village Church is where the Lord wants you uh, permanently. This might be a temporary six-month season to kind of get, get, get your legs underneath you, and then you need to find where your local church is going to be. Some of you are just visiting here, and you're trying to figure all this stuff out. So glad you're here. But here's what I do know. I do know that the Lord wants you to be a dynamic member of a local church. I do know that that's his heart for you. Now, let's go to the second question. How does God relate to the local church? One of the most important questions you and I can ask is, do God and I agree? So I'm going to open up Ephesians 4 with you. We're going to look at some some scripture, and then what you have to be able to do is let the word of God speak, and then put your heart up to that and say, okay, are God and I on the same page? My two cents and encouragement for you would be, get on the same page with God. It'll go better for you. Uh, The scripture gives us three primary metaphors that God uses to describe his relationship to us. God relates to the local church as his family, the family of God, as his bride. In Ephesians, he's called the bride of Christ. Uh, We're called the bride of Christ. And his body, the body of, of Christ. 
And one of the reasons why I think these descriptions are used by God um, is very simply this. Each of these are um, deeply emotional. They're some of the most profound human relationships in your life. And so right off the bat, even the way God describes it, right, God is not neutral or numb to the local church, is he? Um, in fact, these are, these are words and phrases and metaphors that communicate passion, affection, love, devotion, sacrifice. Like once you start seeing the heart of God for the local church, um, it becomes a very beautiful thing. And then the question that we regularly have to ask is, is my heart aligned with the heart of God? Now, here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to dig deeper into this third one, into the body of Christ, which actually at times feels the most personal because we spend so much time nourishing, cherishing, feeding, cleansing, caring for our physical bodies. And I think one of the reasons that the Lord uses this metaphor to describe the local church is because the Lord passionately protects and cares for the local church. And again, I want to ask you the question, do you share Jesus's view of your local church. Uh, And so in the body of Christ, uh, very simply, there are a few categories here. Number one, Christ is the head. This is command and control. Uh, He is the one who decides what to do, where to go, where to function, how things should work. He's the leader. Can we all agree on that? We're good there. Awesome. Um, It's interesting because the spirit in scripture uh, is compared similarly to the ligaments that holds everything together. Now, each of us, we are quote-unquote members. So when you see the word member in Scripture, what it actually refers to is a body part. My limb is a member. My fingers are members. They're body parts. That's the actual word he's referencing. So when we talk about church membership, here's what we're recognizing, what Nikki prayed for just a little while ago for each of our members, that these are each unique and specific body parts that God has designed and placed strategically in this family, in this local community, to serve a very specific purpose with which Jesus has predetermined and decided because he is the head. Let's go to Ephesians 4, chapter 11. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, something for you to know, very often when the analogy or the metaphor of the body of Christ is used, it is in the context of personal ministry. And it's in the context of a local church. Um, It's a very interesting dynamic here. And so when he's speaking of the body of Christ in Ephesians 4, he's actually not talking about Christians throughout all centuries, the global church. He's actually talking about specific local churches. And this is how he's describing his relationship to the local church. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. These are the leaders. And, And then verse 12 goes on. It says, why? To equip the saints for the work of of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I want you to notice, as the body, our privilege. Uh, This may not sound like a privilege at first, but I want you to hear this. Our privilege is work. Uh, It's a specific kind of work. Our privilege as, as members or body parts in this body of Christ is that we have a work of ministry. If the Apostle Paul walked through our doors, shook your hand, and met you, he would, might say something like, what's your ministry? And if you said the following to him, I don't really know, I don't have one. He would be mind-numbed. Like, this is a category of church engagement, by the way, 
that I, the, the early church, the first century church didn't have. If you were in the local church, in the body of Christ, then you had a ministry. You had a work. You had an obligation that was actually a beautiful privilege. The idea that we can be a follower of Christ, not in a local church, or in a local church without a ministry, is kind of like a brand new thought. It's a brand new thought over the last hundred years especially. Like this is not the norm for how the people of God were supposed to interact with the church. I want you to notice what we work toward. We work toward building up the what? Body of Christ. Are we with me here? Uh, my goal, by the way, is not to like be like, oh, cool story, Pastor Michael. Oh, that made me feel all good. My goal is to just train you right now and to get your brain around these categories. So like stick with me, okay? Um, what, what are we working to build? The body of Christ, which is the local church in this context here. Um, this, is a, this is often confused because people read into this some very mystical language. Like, uh, and, and honestly, I just think it's a metaphor. And it's a metaphor for a couple of reasons. Number one, Paul is saying, listen, in the body, the head, okay, the head gets all of its vision and ideas done through the body. All of the vision and the ideas of Jesus Christ, how is he going to execute and implement them? Through the body. This is the very nature. There's a second layer to this metaphor, which is the body is deeply personal to us. In fact, it's so personal, it is us. It's hard to even disconnect ourselves from our body. And so what you're going to see here is not only are we part of a local church because Jesus has a mission and every one of us are supposed to be a part of it, Jesus takes us, village church, every local church, very, very personally. Very personally. Verse 13 goes on, and you may be asking, Michael, Okay, I get it. I'm supposed to have a job. I'm supposed to have a work, right? Um, how, how long do I have to do this for? I'm so glad you asked because the Apostle Paul answers the question. Until you're dead. <laughs> Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Uh, raise your hand. you feel like you're there? Anybody? 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 Well, this says we're working until all attain there. And so here's kind of the nature. Until you are dead, um, our job is to have a work of ministry. This is part of what it means to be in the local church. And so I want to ask you again, how are you relating to the local church? Are you a tourist? Are you a renter, you know, kind of there? Or are you an owner? Part of the nature of being an owner is that you give way more than you get. Now, some of you are like, okay, Pastor Michael, I know what the Bible says. I'm unmotivated. Some people are motivated by consequence. Some people are motivated by vision. And so the, the Apostle Paul, who's a master communicator, he decides, I'll motivate you with both. Let's talk about those who need to be motivated by consequence. What is at stake if we do not press into our personal ministry? What does it stake for each one of you if you don't press into it? Here's what he says in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The image here is of a child being thrown overboard in a very tumultuous storm. The child is in the water, and of course the child can't win because the child is not strong enough, nor is the child equipped. And so the child eventually drowns in the water. This is the imagery that he's trying to tell us. Because, I want you to hear this, because the people of God didn't do their job. 
This is the implication. This is the consequence. And I'm not trying to just scare you. I'm just actually, the, the scriptures are just so actually encouraging and direct about this stuff. When one of us doesn't do our job, there is a necessary and inevitable consequence because somebody will not be discipled. Half of our disciplers are super busy doing other things that they don't need to do because people with gifts of administration are renting or touristing. So they're over here. While, meanwhile, there are people who legitimately need to be discipled. There are some people doing the work of three, four, or five people because some of you insist on being tourists and renters for a really long time. And so this is like a reality, like in the local church, that there, there are people that are not being discipled, that are, that are losing possibly years or decades of spiritual maturity because the body of Christ that they're a part of has not stepped up. Uh, it takes the whole body of Christ to equip the whole body of Christ. This is the way God has, has set up the local church, that it requires all of us as a part of Village Church if all of Village Church is going to be equipped to mature manhood. Now, that's a sad reality. And let me just tell you, from where I sit, this is very real. The amount of things that go undone, the amount of people that we don't actually have the ability to love well, because the people who are willing are already bogged down doing so much, this is a very real dynamic. Here's what I do know about Village Church. Internally, we have everything we need to do everything God has asked us to do. If, if the people, if we will walk into ownership and we will take on the work that God has set aside for us to do. All right, so that's consequence. That's the real, actual consequence of being a tourist or a renter. Now let's talk about vision, okay? So some of you are like, no, 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 give me vision, Michael. Compel me with vision in the future. Got it. So he gives three promises, three, three certainties, that if you will jump in, if you will have a ministry for your local church, if you would begin to learn to share God's heart for it and give way more than you get, here are some verse 15. First promise is this, Christ-likeness. By the way, like on the surface, you're like, blah, 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 Christ. This should be the desire of every Christian heart. Bring God glory, be more like Jesus. Bring God glory, bring, be more like Jesus. And here's what God is saying. Hey, this whole thing that you're like, your whole life is culminating toward giving God glory and becoming more like Jesus. I, I want to tell you this. It's slow, that process is exponentially slowed down in the tourist and in the renter arena. That once you walk into the owner category, this Christ-likeness begins to accelerate in your life. Here's what he says. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. He's talking about serving and the consequences if you don't. But if you do, then we actually grow. And this is what we really want. Is it not? I hope so. Number two, disciples are made. People actually start working. Do you ever look at a family and you're like, what is going on? Nothing you're doing is working. In fact, all your decisions are backwards and wrong. No? You never felt that way? Open your eyes because there's a lot of crazy families all over the world. Most of them have never been taught better. And so one of the beautiful things that we get to see when you pour your life into other people or you pour your life into your ministry is you actually get to see people grow and work the way God has made them to work. It's a beautiful, beautiful byproduct. The vast majority of people, have ne- of Christians, have never had the privilege to disciple somebody and watch them go from A to B and to grow spiritually. That is actually one of the saddest things to me in the world, and I would love to see even more disciples rise up out of village church. Number three is love. 
says it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me tell you why this is so important. If you walked into Village Church and you didn't even have a semblance that love was in this room, you would have never stayed. You wouldn't even be sitting in this sermon right now. I'll show you a church without love, and I'll show you a church that is just very mean to each other, and they're not hospitable to guests. I'll show you a church that is not actually accomplishing the mission. You don't have love. Literally everything in a church falls apart exponentially, and it's, it's just catastrophic to watch. And so I look at this, and I'm like, okay, Michael, why should I jump in? Well, because literally your life's aim, you pursue it with exponential speed, Christ-likeness. People begin to work correctly. Disciples are made. Love grows, which, which is the cry of everyone's heart. And yet we go back to the consequences, and we say, okay, what happens if I stay a tourist or a renter unnecessarily long? These things are slowed down. I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 5, and I want, you to, I want you to get a glimpse of Jesus' heart for the local church. In the same way, husbands should love, love their wives as their own bodies. Ladies, can I get an amen on this one? Yeah. Amen, right? Like five of you, and the rest of you are like, eh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> he who loves his wife loves himself. Dudes, can I get an amen on this one, right? Yeah. Right? You don't love your wife, you're a moron. You're just making life harder. Okay. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Now, you, you may be like super literal type A. Be like, well, actually, I know a guy who hated his own flesh. That's, that's not what... If you hate your own flesh, I'm not trying to be like overly rude or mean, but it means there's a deeper problem, okay? Functional, normal humans don't hate their flesh. They feed their flesh. They care for their flesh. They go out of their way to protect their flesh. They go out of their way to nourish it. They do everything they can for it. We pamper ourselves like crazy. Uh, The vast majority of you in this room have clothes on. Good job. Most of you brush your teeth, right? And if you didn't, that's why you're not sitting next to anybody, right? Cue for you, okay? Here's what it says. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. I love this. Just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Jesus loves the church, nourishes the church, cherishes the church, sees the church as his family, gives way more for the church than he ever gets, right? Now here's what I want to do with you. Here's the picture. How do you line up in your own heart? How do you relate to the church? Now, I also understand something. A sermon is not going to move you from wherever you are to wherever God wants you to be. Like, I've learned this after years of preaching, right? Growth is slow. This is why I've learned to love the concept of next steps. Because if you don't take a next step, as incremental and small as it might be, you'll never, ever get to your destination. And so whenever I preach, like, my hope is not that, like, all of the little church is going to forever be different because of this moment on, right? My hope is that everyone in this room, by the Spirit of God and the power of God, takes just one step closer toward who God has created them to be. Here's my third question. How should I relate to my local church? I want to give you two um, large categories here as some encouragement. Uh, there are two big spiritual New Testament values for engagement, and the first is presence. Um, There is something powerful, not just about mental presence or worship, but about actual physical engagement with a body. The idea that the digital world can replace corporate worship is just not possible. 
Because what happens in most live streams is people sit back and they never actually give a thing of encouragement, a word, a hug, a human touch. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. Uh, we put on a live stream. I'm going to tell you why. Because there are people who, sit, or who are sick who can't be here. There are people who are infirmed who cannot be here. There are people who, are, who, who cannot make it to a Sunday. And so we put that up to bless them. But at the end of the day, it's not there to replace the actual human physical presence of the people of God together. The author of Hebrews uh, says it this way. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Like, do your work, do your ministry, serve each other. Go, good, 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 good. But not neglecting to meet together. By meeting together, this is not some general phrase like, let's go hang out together. He's referencing the corporate worship of God's people. I want to tell you a value that is just very, very important to me. That our ministry is the overflow of our worship. That our work is is the overflow of our worship. Something that has been increasingly happening at Village Church, of which is of deep concern to me, is that multiple people will serve on a Sunday morning, they'll do their work of ministry, and they will skip church altogether in corporate worship. And what I want to do is lovingly come back to you and say, um, effective ministry, effective work for the Lord is the overflow of worship. That our highest priority is worship It's actual presence with God's people and lifting high the name of Jesus Christ. And out of our worship, we work. Out of our worship, we work. This is not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. And you're going to see this. Some will just say, I don't need to be there. I'll be there once a month. And that's fine. But there is a huge spiritual loss to a lack of physical presence with the people of God as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The second value is participation. This is the actual engagement. This is the actual coming to worship and to build up the people of God. The the idea of a tourist is that there's nothing expected of you, but of an owner, we are fully engaged. Even as a renter, we're fully engaged. Engaged. We come giving, we come giving worship, we come giving our work of ministry, and the beautiful thing about being a part of the people of God is they are giving back to you. It is a beautiful, symbiotic, mutual edification where people leave and they are built up. Where churches, especially on Sunday mornings, start to struggle massively is when half the church is in consumer mindset rather than giving worship to God, gifts of, of, of ministry, work of ministry to people. Uh, and so we find this all over the American church, and this has been one of our continual concerns here, is that um, people can be present here to a degree, but even the lack of participation mentally, ministry-wise, is a huge detriment to our Sunday morning of worship together. Uh, lest you think, like, I don't know what's going on in real life, and I'm just a pastor, I work one day a week, um, here are just some common things that, like, we see that are roadblocks to presence and participation. Um, and so uh, I do know that for some people, your work makes it almost impossible for you to be here on a regular basis. And uh, there's a handful of you. I have so appreciated um, how you've gone out of your way to fully engage and to, and to be with the people of God and to get the growth you need and to serve and to minister. Um, sometimes your job just takes you to places and it's not easy. Sometimes there are family realities or physical realities. Um, some, there are, oh gosh, God bless her. Joan Hilton passed away uh, about a year and a half ago. And uh, just a woman who's been a part of our church forever 
forever, could not get out of our house. We brought her communion. And this lady prayed, 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 read every single email, listened to every single sermon. She couldn't do much, and she just prayed. And there, there are realities like that, that, you know what? Like, I would never look at Joan and say, get to church more, right? That is so disrespectful because this woman loves the Lord. There are physical realities that hold people back from this. Sometimes, though, pain and disappointment, I don't know that we realize how powerfully and even negatively we let them affect us. And so many people um, use these uh, as, at the beginning, maybe it was a legitimate reason, but inevitably these very quickly turn into excuses of why our participation is not required. For some people, your motivation is not bad. Nobody's ever told you otherwise. And so I'm talking, and you're like, I never knew I had like a ministry that I could be a part of. Let's talk. Like, I've got a lot to encourage you with, and I'd love to set you up with somebody who could encourage you and show you um, what kind of ministry you could do at Village Church to bless other people. Um, for some people, it's just worldliness and consumerism, busyness and distraction. Like, we allow the rhythms of life just to get the best of us. Let me, let me tell you this. Never in the history of the world have people been more busy than in America right now. Never. Technology has made things so exponentially more complicated and integrated that the demand is always all the time. So I get it. And the Christian has to rise above this if we're going to be effective for the gospel. We have to rise above some of these things. And here's what I know. Again, none of these are overcome quickly. They're overcome by taking one next step at a time. And I can't tell you what that next step is for you. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Don't want to be. Although there are some days I wish I was. But I want you to go before the Lord and say, all right, I'm starting to see your heart. I'm starting to see that my lack of engagement is actually having negative consequences on the local church here. Lord, what do you want me to do differently? The fourth question is this. Does my relationship with the local church need to change? I want to draw your attention back to how Jesus sees the local church. It's personal. Um, It is to be vigilantly protected. He engages it. He loves it. He nourishes it. He cherishes it. It's his family. So what? I was thinking about all the so what's that I could put on here. And I actually just have kind of one big so what, and we're going to parse it out. Jump in. Do something. Take a next step. Um, some people need to repent. You, your heart has been hard to the local church, and uh, this is going to be a long, slow process, but you need to take a next step, and that's by doing something. And I think God honors next steps. God honors when we walk into difficult things. I really believe that it's one of the most beautiful ways that he heals. I've also found that in this process of healing, there's a lot of people who have been burned. And so again, your natural tendency is to sideline yourself and to withhold your personal ministry from people for years on end. And what I want to tell you is that for most people, every circumstance is different, but for most people, one of the best ways to heal is to jump into a semi-healthy church and serve and to give your life away. It's a powerful thing. Jump in. So what's your next step? Uh, Number one, some of you need to get more information. You are a tourist, and that is a good thing. You're, You're too smart to walk blindly into a church without asking the right questions. But don't sit back for six months. Get the information you need. Come to our congregational meeting in two weeks. You can sit down with any, any time, any of our elders, deacons, staff members, or myself, and we'd love to serve you and help you get what you need. And so don't let that be a roadblock anymore. Do what you have to do. Number two, our belong class. 
This is actually a great class. It's like a membership class, and, but it tells you all about our history and who we are and what's important. And so before you're really going like, to jump in and be an owner, like, you need to go through this class and figure out, like, do I even agree with this place? You might have doctrinal questions. It's a great place. It's an opportunity to sit with leaders in our church, and you have access to anybody you want. We're here to serve you and to help you. We want you to jump in because we have a mission to do. And every one of you that Jesus calls to this church, you're required for this mission to happen. Finally, number three, it's time to serve. Um, all of this is at the hub, by the way, vcob.org slash hub. Um, everything you need, signups, you need anything. You just go there. We built this to serve you, to make your life as easy as humanly possible. I want to share with you some realities that we're experiencing currently at Village Church. Just to give you an idea, I want to highlight um, two areas of ministry. Uh, the first is our children's ministry. Uh, I shared with you last week, I think I said that we had 160 kids at Village Church. Alex, our next-gen pastor, uh, corrected me. He said, no, it's 180 kids. And then, um, so we have 180 kids that we serve here. These kids attend one to four times a month, and they call Village Church their home. Uh, Now, um, last week I shared with you that um, in 2018 we've had 24 pregnant women as a part of Village Church. Throughout the week, somebody else became pregnant. That's 25. And in first service, somebody came up to me and said, it's actually 26. We just found out that I'm pregnant. Praise God. Okay. Um, some of you have yet to get pregnant, and it's going to happen. Some of you are, and you don't know it yet. So um, <laughs> I say that because that is a lot of children and little babies, right? It's a lot. And so let me, let me tell you what has been happening. Um, because of births and kids coming to the church, our needs in children's ministry are growing real-time exponentially. Um, I started getting together our children's ministry core team and our next-gen pastor to put some plans together about the future. And one of the realities, and I want you to just hear this, is we're about maybe 20, maybe 30 people short to actually meet our needs in kids' ministry. So right now, Our children, your children, are being loved, discipled, cared for, prayed over, fed, wiped, everything else, while you're able to be here clear-headed and have everything you want taken care of, which is a beautiful privilege. One day, you're single or you're you're married without kids, and one day, you're going to love what happens back there. Um, But the needs are growing. We've asked the Lord, Lord, would you give us the opportunity to see more people come to Christ? So what does he do? He just brings babies in. We're like, yes, that's awesome. And we have the privilege as a church family to come around these kids, but I'm telling you, the needs are profound. And so we're, we're kind of in a place right now where I have to make those needs known to you, um, but we're also at a place where we're saying if we don't get the people that we need, we're going to have to cut back on some of the ministries that we're doing, consolidate, because we just don't have the resources to take care of them. Now, here's what I do know. I know that resident within the village church, God has resourced us with everything we need to care for every single person, no matter how little or young they are. And that's why this message, I think, even, even for this discussion, becomes so much more important. So um, uh, one of the asks is, hey, could you serve one time a month? But I, I want to just make this clear. There are people back there who serve every single week, every single week, week in, week out, every single week. Our, our, our production and music guys, they get up, they're here at 6 in the morning, 6.30 in the morning, they're here during both services, and some of you are like, I can't get up till 11 o'clock, and I'm always late, oh my gosh, life's too hard, right? I'm telling you, here's the deal. When I ask most people to step it up, they're like, you don't understand, I just need some me time, and I'm like, that's great, I don't have a problem with me time, me time's valuable, I got it. My question is, what does the Lord want you to do, and how do you adjust your schedule to his will? And when there are people who need to be discipled and cared for and needs that need to be met in your local church, where do we sacrifice? An owner doesn't say, oh, I have a leaky roof. Ah, I need me time, right? 
An owner says, there's a leaky roof. I need to change my schedule. No matter how much it costs, I need to get this thing addressed because it's urgent and it's a need. Do you see what I'm saying? And this is why at Village Church, everything we need is right here. But I think some mindsets need to shift. And some of you are like, I would have served earlier had I known the need. There's the need. It's real. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, Michael, um, why aren't more Village Churches stepping into serving in kids' ministry? Because there is literally no ministry in our church that more people serve at than kids' ministry. Every single Monday night, God knows how many volunteers every single week come and they disciple kids. Our MOPS program every other Thursday morning, there's a whole bunch of people serving and babysitting and childcare in that arena as well. Women's Bible study on Sunday morning. It's not because people aren't willing. It's because when we look at the ministries that God has brought to us, um, it is at every single corner more and more kids And so we're just trying to keep up with what the Lord is bringing to us real time. Some people will say, Michael, you should never recruit out of desperation. You should only recruit out of vision. This isn't desperate. This is real. And it came up really, really quick. And here's the vision. God is bringing us a whole bunch of kids and we get to disciple them. So let's figure out how to come around them and make this stuff happen. So my first question for you in terms of ministries is like, what's the Lord asking you to do? What does it mean for you to be an owner? There's a whole bunch of so what's from this sermon. And I want to put those needs in front of you. The other need we have is in the back with production. Um, We need people who can come once a month, twice a month, and do videos and cameras. Spouses can do it together. It's an awesome ministry, and we get to bring the gospel to a whole bunch of people and serve people who can't be here. And if you, like, if any of this stuff works semi-well, it's because those guys are doing an amazing job. And so we need a lot of work back there. And so uh, go onto the hub, and there are just plenty of opportunities for you to jump in. As Village Church grows, our needs are growing as well. And you're here to help the body of Christ be the body of Christ. Amen, Village Church? All right, dissertation over. I want to pray. And then um, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to draw our hearts back to what binds us together. Father, thank you for giving us your son. Jesus, you, you love the body of Christ. You are cherishing and nourishing You are so good to us, your body. Jesus, thank you for not just loving your body, but giving your physical body for us. As we ponder this whole subject matter, Lord, we just put our our hearts, our desires, our ambitions, the reality of how we have related to the local church. We lay it all before you, and we just say, God, what is the next step that you have for us? And we're willing to take that, whatever it is. Lord, I want to personally thank you for the privilege to steward these kids of Village Church. I'm blown away by how many children we have the honor to teach your word to and to disciple. Hundreds. It's crazy. It's so awesome. And so God, thank you for our workers on Sunday morning and for our workers on Monday night and for the ministry that they have and the impact that they are making and all of the people who serve in women's ministry, caring for the kids and mops and so much more that we don't even see. Lord, thank you for giving us even the opportunity to steward more and our desire for them is that they would grow to love Jesus and to love his church and to make disciples. Lord, as we think about communion, as we think about what you've done for us, thank you that the blood of Christ covers all of our failures, all of our would-haves, should-haves, and could-haves, and that you love us and you are forming us more and more into the image of Jesus. 
We love you, and it's just our, our joy and our privilege to remember what you've done for us in this time, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Um, Jesus doesn't just tell us to give our lives away for the body of Christ. He models it for us. And Jesus gave his body, his soul, his emotions as the full wrath of God for our sins was put on him. This is what owners do. And as we remember communion right now, we have the joy to look back and to remember our God whose blood covers every one of our failures, every one of our inadequacies, every one of our struggles, every one of our sins, every one of our could've, would've, should'ves, might'ves. Like, we have a really good God. I'm so glad that I don't have to think about the future wondering if I'm gonna be forgiven or if God and I are okay, but the cross declares me that there's no condemnation for anybody who is trusted in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, uh, as we partake of communion, if you have never trusted in Jesus, could I just take a minute and just plead with you? Let today be the day where you trust in Christ. Let today be the day where you truly, truly let your life down before him. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that God the Father raised him from the dead? Do you believe he's coming back? Do you believe that salvation is not for people who are good enough, but through faith in Jesus? Like if you believe that, I want to just invite you, would you trust in Christ? And his promise to you is that he gives you his Holy Spirit He gives you forgiveness, and he also gives you us, (laughs) the local church, this broken group of people. Some of you have never wanted to trust in Christ because you're like, I don't really want anything to do with these people. Do not let the people of God who may not have loved you well hold you back from the true one and only God who loves you. No local church is perfect. No family is perfect. Everybody's got their warts and all. But I'm telling you this, that Jesus is worth it. He is God. He loves you. And he's offering you forgiveness through faith in himself. For those of you who are newer to this church, we're so glad you're here. Uh, Communion is just an open time where if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, I don't care what church you go to, we want to invite you. Would you partake of communion together? Some of you might be tourists, renters, or owners. Right now, before the cross, we're all equal sinners who fall short of the glory of God. Amen? And so if you've trusted in Christ, I want to invite you. Would you partake of communion? And the declaration over you is A, you're forgiven, and B, God's not done yet. And so let's take this time, let's enjoy it together, and let's remember what our God has done for us and who we are and who he's making us to be. Uh, here's what's going to happen very simply. We're going to have a time of silence where you can just talk to God. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship together while the ushers hand out the elements. At the end of the song, would you just hold on to your elements, and we're going to partake together at the end as a sign of our unity in Christ. Let's have some time alone with God.